Great. If you will, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, and children are dismissed to Children's Church. We have communion today, so we're going to do a shorter message in 1 Corinthians 13, and then get into our communion part. Let me just read verses 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Bible tells us about who you are and that God is love. We're thankful that love is such a key aspect of who you are. We understand holiness is. We understand truth is. There are so many attributes that are true of you. But we're very thankful that love is such a key part of who you are. And if we're to be like you, God, you want us to be loving as well. Help us to continue to get deeper into this subject matter as we study it and reveal to anyone where they're lacking in love. And if they need the love of Jesus in their life, I pray that that would become evident too. If they've never become a believer, that their eyes would be open today. Maybe somebody here today has been struggling with love, been seeing how they are deficient, not patient, not kind, acting out of jealousy. May it not just be that their behavior needs to change, but their heart needs to change. A heart change that will lead to behavioral change. It all becomes something they're able to do because they believe in Jesus. Jesus comes and lives in them. What an incredible reality for us who are believers to recognize the Holy Spirit is in us, the Spirit of Christ, and that we can now love because you first loved us. Bless our study now in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 13, we're continuing to study as we look at this, why love is the excellent way for you. And last week, I asked you these questions. If you weren't here, I asked these questions. I said, do you feel like you're in love today? Do you feel there are people who love you? And do you feel there is someone special to love? And how appropriate it was for us going into Valentine's Day week, right? Like Valentine's Day was Friday. But then I said, when you think about feeling, you have to come to the reality that it's in contrast to knowing. And do you know that you love someone? The purpose was to get you to understand that agape love, what we've been studying, this word Agape is the Greek word of numerous Greek words that can be used for love. But when Jesus came on the scene, and it's hard for us to imagine, but we know that this kind of love was not written about, talked about that much because it was very scarce in writings of the day. But Jesus comes on the scene, and it now transforms society. And it's a love of action, and it's a love of knowing. 
not a feeling. So that if anyone would wake up saying, I just don't feel like I'm in love anymore with my spouse, you don't have to wonder whether you are in love or not. You can know because you can say, I've been patient, I've been kind, I've been jealous, and I know I can go forward being patient, kind, not jealous because I can act with these attributes. I can be patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant. So as we come today to verse 7, and you look at verse 7, it's our last section. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We come to a, a passage that I think really pushes love. I feel like being patient, being kind can push love. But this is a section that really pushes you like, how far do you really want me to go? This is where it becomes a sort of like every one of you are going to stand before God. And I think when you stand before God, how far you decided to go with verse 7 is going to be key on so many things. So you might have thought, well, you know, again, when you get to an, a, a list, when you get to the end, it's sort of like a sigh. I'm like, I'm, we're done. We push through it. But the reality of it is, is this section that is considered a hyperbole, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, like all things. What really is being challenged here is that you go really, really far, that you really push it with people. And so you have a difficult spouse. You have a difficult parent. You have a difficult child. You have a uh, someone in your life that's a drunk. You have someone who's in life that's a drug addict. You have someone in your life that's a thief. You have someone that uh, that is a liar. You have that difficult child. How far do you go when putting up with them? And you know, you take it beyond just the family. You got a friend. You got a coworker. You got a neighbor. And I want you to recognize this: the Bible talks about coming to a point people and that there are principles where you cut people off. There are times when you cut a spouse off. There are times when you walk away from somebody. And my struggle is when I was putting this message together is, do I bring all of that in today to this message? I might do it a little bit, but I thought to myself, I know when I went through seminary and I sat under John MacArthur for four years, he all often emphasized, you know, I come to a passage and I come to a text of scripture and it might talk about one attribute of God and one way that God does things, but then there's a opposite end. So like you've got God's election, and then you've got God's dealing with man's free will. And he often said, I just preach the one text that's before me, and I let the Holy Spirit work out the reconciliation. And in some aspects, I'm going to let you somewhat deal with that because – you're going to have to stand before God how you put up with the difficult people in your life. How far will you go? I don't. I, there are people that, that are in my life that I think some people would have walked away a long time ago. And then others, like in people in your lives that you've gone through and you haven't walked away from them, and it's commendable. So you look at verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And so I want us to know that as we go through and we talk about love, that there is no guarantee that, that 
when you love someone, you're going to change them. I wish it was. I wish it was guaranteed. And we're going to look at verse 8, a passage eventually here that gets misinterpreted. Um, love never fails. Um, you can love somebody, and it will not always result in them becoming a believer or they're turning their lives around. But you will always be commended for how you love, and God will see that, and you will be rewarded for that. I can tell you that. Um, I said last week, too, I wanted to bring this in because we're talking about love being an action, love being a choice. And I wanted to use the illustration of marriage so that you can see it beyond just marriage relationships as well. Turn back to Song of Solomon, Old Testament. You've got Proverbs, you've got Ecclesiastes, and then you've got Song of Solomon. And this is a book that I think needs to be studied on an annual basis, especially by married couples, because it deals with not only dating, marriage, and sex, um, just not just dating, but it deals with the sexual relationship. It deals with aspects of marriage. There are so many key truths in this. I don't think this passage is just about, this book is just about the church, um, our relationship with the church. I think it's about a husband and wife, and the reason I wanted to bring this up was because there is, when we talk about love being a choice and love being an action, I don't want people thinking that it's devoid of emotion and that marriage is devoid of emotion and, and that it's just like this stale aspect and we're, we don't have the passion that the world has. So you come to verse 1. It says the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. It's verse 1. It, it's the ultimate song, Solomon had written many songs. And so you see that God, by putting this in his Bible, is saying that marriage and love and sex is important to him. And again, I was trying to read, and I was reading about how, you know, again, Christians with their puritanical views on marriage and sexual aspects of life are just so backwards. That's just an incredible lie. The world has taken this stuff and twisted it and perverted it and made it so bad. God's the one who says this is the way it's to be done so it could be enjoyed and be done the right way. So it's the song of songs. It's the ultimate song. So God is trying to say this is important to me. And everyone in your marriage relationship, you better look at it being important to you. You need to work at your marriage. But you see in verse 2, I believe this is the woman speaking because we're not going to do a full study, but he says, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. There is this attraction, an attraction and being um, drawn to someone is important. God didn't put it that we're in vacuums and we, we go around and we blindly just have to marry someone as if it's a sign. Now, it can happen. It can work. But just even in this book, there is a sense of attraction. And yet, as you go on and you look at verse 3, what we've done a study of this book and we've done a study of attributes regarding the dating, and you look at verse 3, it says, your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. The idea of his name reflected his character. And character matters. Somebody 
recognizes that they're attract someone else is attractive not just because of looks but also because of their character and as you go through this and chapter especially because this is the dating section when you get down to verse six i believe she had character too because when she says do not stare at me because i am swarthy right and how many times i've used that expression i'm swarthy for the sun has burned me my mother's sons were angry with me they've made me caretaker of the vineyards but i have not taken care of my own vineyard the idea is that she was a servant that she was faithful she had character she had responsibility and she came through and so without me going back and forth, the, the idea is, is that you, as they work to leave and weave to cleave. There's a sense that character was important. And so when I've done this study, I've said there's all kinds of reasons people become attracted to one another. There's looks, there's interests, there's mannerisms, there's extended family, there's intelligence, there's health, there's wealth. And you've got all of these things that you know if you would look for those who are married you look and say these are the this is the list this is why we got married but everyone that's married knows that whatever you wrote on that list it changes <laughs> okay it absolutely changes and looks change and interests change and mannerisms change in the sense where sometimes they go oh, you know she just twirled her hair and after like 10 years, like, we stop twirling your hair? <laughs> you know, you know, you, you, you have where all of a sudden you say, I just love his or her family. And then before you know it, man, hers or her family just drives me up the wall. And then it just goes on. And, you know, whether it's how she, her view or his view of intelligence, how they look upon something, how they deal with um, what they want to do with their interests. Like, don't you ever, you know, like, oh, we're, we got together and we always like to do this one activity. We'd be biking, reading, whatever. But after a while, like, don't you do anything else besides bike or read or garden or whatever? It's just so irritating. You know, it's like, and it goes and, and you, you watch it long enough. But what I've said is that no matter what you do, when it's all said and done, once you make that decision, this is what I said last week when I deal with premarital with couples, is that I want you to remember that you made a choice to love somebody. And that's where the agape love, the love of action comes in, where now that you're married a year or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, and there's always going to be a sense where you've got to come back to the sense, I made a choice. And, and, and God says in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. Well, when we study the Bible and we say Christ loved the church, the church wasn't lovely looking. As a matter of fact, when I did the clothing outlet on Friday, I said to the people who came to our clothing outlet, I said, you've got to remember Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that the church was God's enemy. And maybe some people feel in a marriage that's exactly who they're married to, an enemy. I mean, that's obviously worst case scenario. But God has said, husbands, this is what I want. I want you to love the church love your wives like Christ loved the church and and not to be somebody that is negative and complaining and and like well you know man she doesn't look the way she used to she doesn't your ear interests aren't the same their mannerisms drive me up the wall now that I've gotten to know her family I can't take them anymore now that we, we we've talked out you know you know Becky and I had our 
our, um, our, what's that? I can't think of the word. Thank, thank my God. Valentine's Day dinner. We, we were out for Valentine's on Friday night. And we were talking about, you know, we're going to be married 31 years. And, and I thought our conversation went really, really well on, at, on dinner on Friday night. At, <laughs> you passed. Um, <laughs> no. The idea is, is that we, I talked about the fact that here we are at 31 years and our conversation I thought was wonderful. And it was because I look at it and I think both of us work at it. But when we were first getting married, there was always the thought like, well, what are you going to find to t- still talk about after 30 some years? But you work at it and it just doesn't always just easily flow. Now, all of this is why am I saying this is because we want to understand when God talks about love, if you just focus on a feeling, you're going to be in trouble. If you don't understand that love is a choice and what God is ultimately looking at, a choice that will lead to the right feelings, a, a, a right emotional response, you will be someone that is going to be drifting depending upon whoever comes through the door. And go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But like I said last week, I mean, if all of a sudden, if love is like the love songs that the world sings, somebody comes through the door, and even though I've been married 31 years, I all of a sudden, wow, that person's so beautiful. That person's so intelligent. That person is so interesting that now, because I've gone, I've dictated that love is always this emotional feeling for me. Now this person controls me, and I've got to leave my wife and go with this person. You say, no, that's not what you're supposed to do, right? And, and God wants us to understand at the base of who we are as human beings, not just with spouses, but with friends and neighbors and fellow people that are, are just strangers on the street, that we're to operate with this mindset of, look, being patient, verse 4, being kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant. And like I said, we've done these incredible long studies of looking into this because this transcends so much of all of Scripture, so much of all of judgment. You are going to find yourself standing before God, and he's going to say to you, let's look at every relationship he could of how you acted in love with these 15 verbal adjectives. So it is so critical that we get this down. So we, we've gone through this, and love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous. I'm hoping that you're praying through these. I'm hoping that you've memorized these. I'm hoping that you think about, hey, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. This is the way that your marriages are to be structured. This is your friendships are to be structured. This is the way your parenting is supposed to be structured. And... And as we go on about not seeking its own, not acting out of provocation, and number nine, we said is forgiving. I mean, these are challenging. And last week, we dealt with the emotional aspect of not rejoicing in unrighteousness, but rejoicing in truth. And I really recommend, if you weren't here, listen to that podcast because it gets to the joy in a relationship. Some people are miserable in their relationships because they really aren't functioning with the idea of where they get their true joy. Well, now we come to this one. Love bears all things. Love covers over sins and shortcomings and does not gossip about them. All right? So we're just going to go into number 12. 
And let me just read that one Greek dictionary said, this means to cover over, to pass over in silence, to keep confidential. And I want you to think about that. Think about this in your marriage. Think about this in your friendships, how you deal with people. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up, stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions, all sins. One commentator wrote, the, the verb here, it's a Greek word, stego, means to basically to cover or support and therefore to protect. Love bears all things by protecting others from exposure, ridicule, or harm. Genuine love does not gossip or listen to gossip, even when a sin is certain. Love tries to correct it with the least possible hurt and harm to the guilty person. Love never protects sin, but it is anxious to protect the sinner. Here's something that I think will really help you to understand this. This word is used in Matthew 8.8 for the word Ruth. Listen to Ruth. R-O-O-F, not like I say, woof, roof, roof, a, roof, a roof over your head. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And I thought to myself, you know, look, we got a roof over our heads. It covers us. It started the snow, it started the rain. We would not be hit by the snow. We would not be hit by the rain. Now, the reason I really wanted to emphasize it is because when you look up the dictionary words, like the Greek dictionaries for, for this Greek word stego, it, there's like a spectrum of, of dealing with when you bear things, like you put up with, like you tolerate, versus the covering, what you cover over. And I really think after studying this that the emphasis should be on the covering because the tolerating aspect of love, if you look at verse 7, comes with the word endure. And so I think God is going to deal with toleration, but I think right now this is covering. And I want to show you this, how this plays out. Because one commentator brought up, especially, but other ones agreed, that, there are, that, that, that when you look at this in the Old Testament, that you can see this concept tied into two Old Testament concepts. What are they? Number one was the Passover. And number two was the mercy seat. Now, what do you mean the Passover? Well, the idea of the Passover is that you took, the Jews would take blood, they put it over their door, right? When the Exodus was going to occur and, and the, they, the angel of death came in and he saw that there was this covering and God passed over it, right? And so he didn't come in and he didn't damage, he didn't hurt the people inside that house. Well, that's the idea here. You cover over with your actions, not your blood necessarily. Sometimes people say, but the idea is that you cover over and no harm comes to the person who was the sinner that was inside the house. All the Jews were sinners, but they didn't get the angel of death visit them. And the second is very similar with the idea of the Jewish mercy seat was that it was considered the covering. And through that, that seat that was in the um, temple, was able to represent how the Jews were covered over from being judged for their sins, hence a mercy seat. One pastor, his name was is, um, from Lafayette Bible Church, his name was Steve Byers. Some of you have heard of him. He does a lot with counseling, I know. He tells this story 
of how when he was a teenager, he got he, he got caught robbing from a uh, construction site. He and his friends were building a fort and probably didn't think anything of it, but they knew what they were doing. They knew they were taking construction materials and they were building a fort. All of a sudden, the police came, chased them down. They got arrested. Father had to come and pull them out. And he writes this about how his father covered a covered over his sin. He goes, how so? Well, what does a roof do? Well, it covers. Love covers. And one standard lexicon defines this word like love bears, means to cover or to pass over in silence. Or here it is to keep confidential. Love bears all things. It keeps things confidential. And he goes, think about it. Think about Proverbs 10, 12, that hatred stirs up strife. Have you got it? Hatred stirs up strife, but love bears all things. Love covers all transgressions. How is that? Well, what does hatred do? Hatred blows the roof off of stuff. Hatred tells a story far and wide. Hatred cannot and will not shut up. See, he goes, think about how my dad handled that situation with me having problems with, with the police. Nobody else in my extended family needed to know about my thieving ways, and it did not need to be broadcast to the associates at work. It didn't need to worm its way into the next 10 years' worth of conversations. It didn't, he didn't need to tweet it. He didn't need to post it on Facebook. He didn't need to rub my nose in it every chance he got. Love is like a what? It's like a roof. He goes, I admitted it. I admitted the sin that I did. I admitted the thievery. I accepted my consequences. His father punished him. I asked forgiveness, and now... He was, incredibly, he was an incredibly loving father by covering it, by choosing to keep it forever confidential. I mean, there are people sometimes, if sin gets out, before you know it, the entire family knows, the entire neighborhood, the entire church knows. John MacArthur said this in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. Stego means to bear, means basically to cover or support and therefore to protect. Please get all of that, he writes. He has love bears all things by protecting others from exposure and ridicule and harm. Genuine love does not gossip or listen to gossip. Did we get all that? Genuine love does not gossip or listen to gossip, even like my thieving ways. Even when a sin is certain, love tries to correct it with the least possible hurt and harm to the guilty person. Love never protects sin. That's why it needs to be addressed. We're not talking about that, and I'll balance that in a minute. But love never protects protects sin, but is always anxious to protect the sinner. So I recognize this. I recognize what when, when I'm dealing with my own wife, one of the best things that I, I know, she knows my failures all the time. And I've shared this with you before, but it was like we've been married, we going to be 31 years, 15 years ago into our marriage, Something came up, and believe it or not, I did wrong. <laughs> and Becky ends up, we're talking, and like, I don't know how it came up, but her parents might have been visiting, and I'm thinking, oh, no, they're going to be all upset with me. And she goes, no, my parents think you're an angel. And I'm thinking, and it came out, something that both of us recognize and do is the idea of we didn't go running to our parents and complaining and talk about all the things that, the spouse has done. Now, we're going to talk about sometimes some things do come out. I recognize that. 
But as a general course, it isn't where, man, you can't believe what Michael did today. You can't believe what Becky did today. And that transcends your comfort, I mean, the situation, because what happens is if you're someone that's always bringing up matters, it ends up dividing. So what I thought I would do is just, like, let's just go through. How, how do we play this out? Number one is don't gossip. And, and, and gossip is when you tell someone about something they don't need to know. They don't, you know, and I know that sometimes people will come to me and they're looking for advice, and I recognize my position as a pastor. If you're going to somebody for advice, that's fine. I know you, have, you want to talk about situations, and, and, but you have to always even be discerning in that. And some people can think, well, then I can't talk about anything. Well, no, I think there are things you can talk about, and the way you talk about them matters too. But look, I mean, people sometimes are blown away. You can tell me something, and I'll never tell Becky. And it's the same thing. And that's the way you should be. People should be able to tell you and talk to you about issues, but then you don't repeat them. And obviously, we deal with the world, like I said last week, it functions off of gossip. Our world lives with gossip columns, gossip websites, gossip this, gossip that, gossip magazines. God doesn't want us to gossip. And, and we have to really watch our tongue, as the Bible tells us in the book of James. You can destroy people with your tongue. Don't be a gossip. Number two is don't repeat a matter. Now, this is a little bit different than gossip because the idea of what the, the, that Steve Byers was getting at is how his father didn't keep bringing it up. I know a young man, well, not a, a man who's like in his 50s, and he told me, he goes, you know, he goes, my father will bring up things that I did when I was 8, 15, 20, and just keeps bringing them up. That doesn't let it die. Even if I said I was sorry, that's the idea when I wanted to talk about doesn't repeat a matter. The idea of covering something up is the fact that, okay, you put it behind you. You move on. You go forward. If, if you don't do that, then you know you're, you're, people are carrying a ball and chain, and you never let them get away from that. And there's no freedom. There's no joy. And there's no peace in your relationship. And you can see that in a marriage because, like I've said, once you're married, within a week, how many times you've already offended one another in the first week of marriage? And if you're constantly bringing things up over one year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, you have a lousy marriage. You have lousy friends, lousy acquaintances, lousy business partners. You don't want to keep repeating things. I think that's well, you know, it's, it's, that's well understood. And, and, and so... Listen, if you've been doing that to somebody, repent, stop, because it just doesn't bring you together. Third, incur the pain. How do we do this? How do we cover up? Well, the idea is when all of a sudden, you know, somebody's done something to you and, and you want to let people know how, how you're hurting to the extent that you can say, look, you know, I'll deal with this and, and, and I, I, you know, like the father who dealt with his son stealing, um, I, I, I deal with the embarrassment. I pay the fine, but I don't need to post it on Facebook. I don't, you know, it's not like you can't come home and tell a wife, but you're not going to blast it everywhere. You're going to deal with it. You're going to deal with that pain. 
And you say, well, you don't understand how much pain I'm putting up with, right? That's when I said love bears all things and, and how everyone here is going to deal with things that are going to push them. They're going to face, you're all going to face choices that are going to, to be individual for you. And like I said, you know, some of you get parents, some of you get marriages, some of you get children, some of you get friends, neighbors that are really hurt you really bad. Well, how much are you going to put up with to say, okay, they really hurt me, but I'll still deal with them. And that's what incurring the pain is. And then lastly, I wanted to do, though, bring this up because this is critical that we learn that in this, when we deal with covering up sin, is that we recognize that we don't become blind to it. And I've shared with you before, a woman told me once her husband was having an affair. And this affair went on for five, ten years. And she thought she was doing the godly thing by covering it up. That is not godly. If, if your spouse is having an affair, your spouse is doing something wrong, your spouse is abusing you, you confront that. that that's sin. And that's to be stopped. We're talking about bearing things once they've been dealt with, not bearing things so you don't deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, then you've got problems. And I think part of when you look at this is, you know, it's like, 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 like if I had a problem where I, I was chewing gum and I was smacking my gums and, and, you know, Becky said something to me, Mike, you know, that, that's really bothersome and you, you don't chew your gum properly. Um, and I don't care that it's rude, you know, and, and I don't stop. Well, she might need to bring it up again and hopefully then I'll listen, I'll, I'll act appropriately. But I know that sometimes there's this discernment that comes in like, well, maybe he was chewing gum and he just smacked it one time. So we're on this long drive and I'm not going to bring it up again. That's going to be your wisdom on how much and how often you confront. If I made that illustration clear each one of you has to deal with how often and when you confront sometimes things are so small sometimes things are so big sometimes a bunch of small things are adding up to a bunch of big one big thing and you got to say something and if you feel like that's what you got to do you got to do it but you don't also at the same time whether it's a male or female you don't want to become a nag so how we go through with just this one challenge love bears things it, and when you see that expression and we didn't deal with it, all things, that means encompassing. That's why people say, well, this is hyperbole, like all things, all things. Well, we'll deal with that even more next week. But the idea is that it is encompassing of many things, many, all things. And so where you're going to be pushed, that's your life story. And where you're going to cut things off, that's going to be your life story. But I wrote this, love is a, it is a passionate feeling in some respects. In our English language, love is definitely a feeling. But in the love that's here in the Bible, it is in an agape love of choice. And it's a love of action. It's an action that leads with feelings that follow. The world has feelings that go first, and then the actions follow where us as Christians, we are to be different. Our actions are to go first and our feelings are to follow. As we now see, love bears all things.
And how far you go with this to the, is the extent to which your love grows. Because I tell you, I don't care if you're married one week, one month, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. There's always going to be justification as to why the other person's irritating you. And you might want to say, I can walk away. But you need to die to self and you need to bear it. You need to cover it up. But that's not just, this isn't just about marriage. This is about every aspect of life. Because there are people that you walk out on friends, you walk out on other extended family members, and you say, well, I just can't take it anymore. I'm not going to cover that up anymore. Now, again, in the sense, did you confront the sin? If you confront the sin, that's good. And if somebody didn't repent, then you, 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 they, they didn't deal with it. Well, then you're dealing with a different issue. But if you're dealing with somebody that confront, you confront and they, they forgive it, you should be able to cover it. And you can deal with the pain and you say, I'll cover that up. And again, that's every aspect of every relationship. So this is what I want you to challenge yourself as we go into the next week. Have I really covered other people's sin up? Or am I known as a gossip? Am I known as somebody who just keeps bringing the same thing up over and over and over? Just let it die. Let it die. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we can be people who love who really are challenged by the word picture here of a roof, of a covering. And I ask, God, that we really get closer because of this. Marriages get closer. Friendships get closer. People in our church, their relationships get closer. Because we are people that have learned not to be repeaters of matters. Like that son who told me about his father. He just doesn't want to deal with his father. Because his father never lets it go. Well, then we don't want to be like that, God. We want to be close to our spouses. We want to be close to our children. We want to be close to our extended family. We want to be close in our friendships here in this church, our neighbors. Help us to be people that has the wisdom and discernment to know when to speak and when not to, how to incur pain, because when someone sins against us, it does hurt. We're never saying that any of this pain is small. And there are people today, God, that have been hurt in the heart. Their spouses have hurt them painfully. And that pain comes up sometimes every day. And extended family members have done this. And it hurts. And the closer the person, the deeper the hurt. I pray, Lord... For those that are going through those trials, those hardships, that they draw clear close to you. And maybe they can talk to somebody and say, please pray for me. I'm just having so much crisis going back to the time when I remember how hurt, hard I was hurt. And they are hurt, God. May we not put our head in the sand like an ostrich. But give them the strength, God, to endure. To be the people that are different. To be like Jesus to bear all things. In Christ's name, amen.